It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us on the LaneCast Agriculture Podcast, joining the agriculture conversation. It's hard to believe that 2018 is almost over and 2019 will be here before we know it. It's hard to believe that I started the podcast back in April of 2018. It's come by very fast. I was always asked why I didn't have a podcast. I always said I really didn't have the time to do it, but you know what? I have the content. I have those great individuals and friends that have so much to share about their lifestyles in rural America and the advocacy that they all have for agriculture and the Western way of life. So this show truly has been a great way for us to have the agriculture conversation. And I don't know how I came up with that slogan of the LaneCast, joining the agriculture conversation, but it just developed organically on its own. So it has been quite the 2018 for so many. For me personally, I'm going to brag. It was a great 2018 for myself. And I got married back in May to my beautiful wife, Julie. We bought our first home in Bozeman, Montana. That's not going to be our long-term home. We hope to be back into a small rural town somewhere in Montana down the road. But that is where we're at right now. And I have just been looking back on the success of the LaneCast because with only 2%, only 2% of the U.S. population in production agriculture, and then you trim off the western half of the United States and mainly the northern plains and Rocky Mountain West, those top listening regions that download the Lancasters, you know, even a smaller percentage of folks that would want to listen to agriculture news, folks that are in the industry, and I, I truly am amazed at how well the Lancast does when comparing it to other agriculture shows, and I encourage you to always listen and learn as much as you can about agriculture to be a voice for the industry. So I can't believe how well this show was done. And I truly have to thank all the listeners, the subscribers, those that go to my website, Nordland Communications, and read some of the blogs and, of course, more information on the podcast that we share. So like I said, it's been one heck of a 2018 for me personally, and I wish all of you a happy new year and a Merry Christmas if you're listening to the show before Christmas or after New Year's. But I thought it'd be great to list the top 10 podcasts since April 2018. So really, we don't have a full year, but as we wrap up 2018, I thought it'd be great to highlight those top 10 shows that we had that aired on our podcast, whether it was on Apple, Google, Google Podcast, and uh, on SoundCloud or Stitcher. So I'm just going to jump into these shows, and it might spark your memory thinking, oh, I might want to go back to listen to that show, or maybe I missed that show. So number 10, this show, it was titled Steward of Public Lands, Rancher Chad Osgathorpe. Chad is a rancher down in Delta, Utah, the Osgathorpe family are very active in Utah Farm Bureau, the wool growers, and of course with the American Sheep Industry and the Public Lands Council. So I spoke with Chad, and I've actually, the first time I met Chad was through Farm Bureau and then American Sheep Industry Association. So it was a great way for us to reconnect because I was heading down to Park City, Utah, where his dad and brother's ranch, they have a sheep operation there, 
and it was right before the Public Lands Council's 50th annual meeting. So Chad actually gave us kind of a recap of what folks could expect in Park City, but also the importance of being involved in advocacy groups and associations like the American Sheep Industry Association and the Public Lands Council. Here's a snippet of the conversation I had with show number 38, steward of public lands, rancher Chad Osgathorpe. Uh, What's it like knowing that you have a voice with the Public Lands Council and with the American Sheep Industry Association in D.C. every single day of the year, going up and talking with representatives from Utah and across the nation being your voice? Why why is that so important? It's so important because as farmers and ranchers, we don't have every day to be back there and to keep fighting at it. So we need to be able to rely on associations like the Public Lands Council and ASI, so that way we can oh, we can just send an email and say, hey, um, so I just heard this today, or can you help fight this a little more? And they give us a, um, more of a talking point, because they're there every day. So when they hear the congressmen or senators hear, hear groups from the Public Lands Council, they want to pay attention to that because they know that that carries weight and they know where that's coming from. So I think it's very important that we do get to take these chances and go out there whenever we can, even if that's once every four or five years, but just going out there and just showing them what, telling them what we do and getting that your face out there so they know who they're fighting for. And as far as Public Lands Council, they're our biggest asset and tool out there that we have where we can just pick up the phone or email or see them at a meeting and talk to them and they know what we're fighting against and so it helps us just tell them what we need to be able to succeed and, and to let a fourth generation or my kids take over the operation. That was show 38 with rancher Chad Osgathorpe coming in in the number 10 spot in our top 10 lane cast of 2018. A big thank you to Chad and his wife Linda Osgathorpe for all they do for agriculture in Utah and across the nation. Make sure and go listen to show 38 if you have not done so. Chad is a great individual and I'm so honored to get to know him and his family through all the work I get to do promoting agriculture across the nation. And now we're just going to continue to make our way to number one. But coming in, show number 30 is in the number nine spot. This was one of the first at the kitchen table conversations we had. We all know so much happens at the kitchen table, whether that is financial decisions, figuring out which pastures you're going to be moving cattle to the next day, or everything that happens out on the farm or ranch down to the basics of having a good hot cup of coffee and watching the sun come up. So that's why I started these special features called At the Kitchen Table. And our first At the Kitchen Table necessarily wasn't at the individual's kitchen table, but he's a pro rodeo announcer. So during the summertime, he is on the road and any table is his kitchen table. Show number 30 in the number nine spot is with my friend, Mr. Marty Campbell. He is a minister, an ag education teacher, and FFA advisor from Oregon, lives in Pendleton, in fact, and he had one of the most inspiring messages for our listeners, and it doesn't just need to apply to the rodeo arena, but it applies to our lives, and here is a snippet of the conversation I had in show number 30 with rodeo announcer 
and very inspiring individual, Marty Campbell. What are some of those comments you maybe get from past students that uh, that you taught that are successful now, or maybe they weren't as enthusiastic to be oh, yeah. in an ag education class or going and judging agronomy or livestock? Uh, uh, what are some of those changes in attitudes you've heard down the road? Oh, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, a lot of – I've had kids who – they didn't want to be an FFA, you know. I, I, I want to learn this stuff in the classroom, but I don't want to be an FFA. And I, and I'd get them out there and say, okay, you're just going to go judge livestock, and here's how you give oral reasons. And they go judge livestock and give oral reasons, and those kids, you know, they come back and they're like, you know, everything you taught me about speaking, I use it every day. Or you'll have a kid do. You know, was pretty hesitant to get involved, and now you know. I've, a great example. I have three of those kids who are now teaching ag in Oregon, and uh, one of them is I, we just hired to be my teaching partner. And uh, it's like, you know, that and all of those kids were really shy and really hesitant. Oh, I'm involved in sports, and I'm not going to get involved. And they they just got involved and went all in, and it just opens the doors for them. But I like I had a kid. Um, you know, he came from a family that wasn't involved in agriculture, and but he wanted he took a welding class, and so I got him in, in, involved in FFA, and uh, years later he is now a professional welder. He makes more money than I do as a welder, and I remember when he got accepted in one of those big welding schools, he called me. He said, "Hey, Campbell, I got I got in." I said, "What? Whatever you do, under no circumstances you, do you tell them who taught you how to weld." And the first test he took, he beat the instructor on the score. And I said, "Okay, go ahead and tell them who taught you how to weld." But uh, you know, he's one of those kids. His dad came to me one one time and he said, "You changed my son's life." And I said, "Well, I don't know about that." And he says, "No, he was going one direction." And he got involved in FFA, and he went a completely different direction, and it's for the better. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know. So you, you really touch lives in that position, but what's cool is that you become friends with those kids over the years, and, and you're not just their old teacher, you're, you're their advisor, their part-time veterinarian, and they're, you know, the, the surrogate you know parent and all those types of things and babysitter and bus driver and you name it you're you're that and so it's it's a rewarding job and my kids are my daughter will be a freshman this year so I'm kind of excited about her getting involved and then my son he's going to be in seventh grade this year so it's coming up for him too and it'll be it'll be cool to see where it takes those two kids if you have not listened to this show or you need to, a little inspiration today, I would go back and listen to show number 30 at the kitchen table with Marty Campbell. He discusses the importance of education, why the world needs more cowboys, and why we all need to put those cell phones down at the end of the day as well. Again, great show, one of the best conversations I've had out in the countryside. My friend Marty Campbell of Pendleton, Oregon, a pro rodeo announcer, man of God, and ag education FFA advisor. Moving on down, that's number eight is the spot we go to now. Show number 35. Another individual named Tater Erickson was the guest preserving the heritage, the 4-H working ranch horse finals. Now this show was a little more unique. This was to really spread the message of what the 4-H working ranch horse finals are and what it provides the youth in Montana. My friend Tater Erickson was the guest on the show. He is a 4-H dad. His children all compete in this, but 
And Tanner is a champion of 4-H and just supporting all youth. He and his wife have an open-door policy at their arena, at their home outside of Hobson, Montana. If a youth wants to learn how to ride, how to team rope, how to do 4-H events, they are supportive of all these youth. And yes, we talked about the 4-H Working Ranch Horse Finals, but Tater really shared some inspirational advice and just some insight on the importance of spending time with your family and how he supports not only his children, but children around the state of Montana. What we found is the best way to influence our children and to spend time with our children is to be horseback. And, you know, we don't force them to have to do the horseback thing. We do believe that there's some skills they have to learn, and they all had to start out uh, in, in, in regular horse uh, showmanship and, and horse uh, uh, levels that start out lower in the 4-H deal, and they all have to compete in that deal so they build a strong foundation. But just as we build a strong foundation with our kids on their horsemanship, we also build a strong foundation with them on their lifestyle and who they are and where they are. And we found one of the best things that we can do is there's a lot of opportunities to send your kids out to, to other places and have someone else teach them. And we bring in we bring in people all the time, like like Justin Warnicke from Great Falls came in and, and has done some horsemanship clinics at our place. We've had uh, Buckaroo Business down in uh, uh, Billings, Scott Groskoff has came and did some roping clinics. And, and we had the Balkan Bushes from up at Conrad come in and, and help influence and teach our kids and spend time with them. That is all important, but I'll tell you the real importance is us spending time with our kids out in an environment where they have to learn. And it, every parent knows this. When we have young children, there's a certain time that they will really listen to us and that, that what we say is kind of gospel. And then there starts to get that time as they near the teenage years or, or, or even a little earlier that mom and dad aren't the smartest people around. But what we've found is that when we spend that time with them in that arena, in that dirt, in that dust, um, we start to bond and build a relationship of trust. We build a relationship of encouragement. We build a relationship of conflict resolution. All these different things that we start to build out in our place. And, and as a parent, I, I remember being a youth leader as a young man before I had kids, and I was the smartest I was the smartest parent of all the world, and as I become a parent more and more, I, I, I find that I'm not the smartest, but we learn through our mistakes and our successes, but we get to see our kids grow and blossom, and we have an active role in helping them become uh, good citizens. Again, my good friend Tater Erickson, that was show number 35 with the focus being on the Montana Forage Working Ranch Horse Finals, but it really turned into much more and great advice from a great friend of mine, Mr. Tater Erickson. Uh, now we're moving into slot number seven, show number 52. So it's a pretty new show. It was actually the conversation I had with Texas Congressman and Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Mike Conaway, on the progress of the 2018 Farm Bill. The Farm Bill is law. The President has signed it, but I was in Reno, Nevada, and had the opportunity to sit down with Chairman Conaway and actually speak to him for quite a long time, and I had the opportunity to then have a conversation on the record with him about the progress of the bill. Here's a brief part of that conversation. 
You mentioned hard times in, in production agriculture. The trade turmoil, I really can't do much about that. The low commodity prices, I can't do much about that. But to the extent that not knowing what the farm bill will be for the next five years, we, we're just about to get that off their plate. And right, wrong, or different, the bankers and them will know what the safety net looks like for the next five years. And uh, I think we just, you know, just a little bit of glimmer of hope. Maybe it'll help them out a little bit. Again, the trade, commodity prices, those kind of things, we're not, they're not touching. But to the extent I get the farm Farm Bill worries off their deck. I'll uh, we'll get that done. Again, that was a conversation I had just a few weeks ago in Reno, Nevada, with the outgoing chairman of the House Ag Committee, Mike Conaway, and the progress of the Farm Bill, which of course has passed. But that set aside, I think that is one of the greatest things about being an agriculture broadcaster, traveling the nation. You get to meet these decision makers, and they get to know you. And frankly, they are more comfortable and willing to talk about those issues that are impacting farmers and ranchers and rural communities here in our region and across the nation. So I just think that is so great that the chairman of the House Ag Committee would just sit down off the cuff, talk with me, and then go on the record and discuss those issues impacting farmers and ranchers right here at home. With that said, coming in in the sixth place in the top ten is show number 37. Another At the Kitchen Table conversation with my friends Matt and Bonita Kramer. That ranch near Melville, Montana. That's north of Big Timber. It was a great conversation about their ranch, the legacy the Kramer family has had on production, agriculture, and rodeo in the state of Montana and the nation as well. This was a fun interview at their kitchen table at the ranch near Melville. Let's talk a little bit about the history of this ranch and uh, and being able to uh, to stay here, just like your forefathers. Yeah, uh, my great-grandfather showed mm-hmm. up somewhere in around 1909, and he homesteaded about 11 miles east of Melville. And, of course, they had a little 320 uh, homestead down there, and it, they started out raising sheep, and when other homesteads came up he bought them and it was about 1928 or 29 that he got into the rodeo business and that's what really put the ranch together was the rodeo business your uh, great grandpa is uh, the uh, the famous leo kramer so l- let's talk a little bit about uh, how how that the rodeo in because a lot of the time you, you hear how rodeo ruined the ranch but uh, rodeo kind of made this ranch as you mentioned uh let's just talk about uh, the bucking horses all the livestock that was involved in the in the rodeo and, and how uh and how sheep and cattle you know really paved the way for for your family yeah uh they started raising the sheep because well, to be honest with you, that's all you could run out here. There wasn't enough grass to run cattle at that time. And when he got into the rodeo, and I believe the first rodeo he put on was up at Livingston. And uh, he made a deal with them. If he didn't make any money, they didn't owe him anything. But if they made a profit, he'd split it with them. And that's where he got going. And it just started escalating from there. So he'd be on the rodeo circuit all summer long while his son... Uh, Lils, well, they called him Sonny, stayed home and ran the ranch. And, and that's pretty much where they, how they put the ranch together. He made money with the rodeo to come back and put this ranch together. 
most of the time that's that's a, an opposite role where the son's out on the rodeo trail and dad's at home uh, working. But uh, it was pretty amazing where Leo took all of that the uh, the stock. Uh, we were just talking before we we started the show was they went all the way to Madison Square Gardens. Yes, they had stock at the Madison Square Gardens. They went to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a couple of times. But most of his main shows were like Butte. Big Timber, Miles City, Billings, Great Falls, uh, Mandan, North Dakota, Colorado Springs, and Chicago. And I'm sure there's a few more shows he put on, too. And he moved all of his stock on the railroad. Bonita, you are also uh, the president of the Sweetgrass County Farm Bureau and also the chairman of the Health and Safety Committee for the Montana Farm Bureau Federation and uh, a, a member of the Real Montana uh, Leadership uh, class as well. well. Why is it important for you to also uh, give back to a different agriculture organization and be a voice uh, for the industry? Yeah, I, I just can kind of echo what Matt said. Uh, the importance in speaking up is, is incredible. Um, you know, so many of the decision makers, even at your county and state level in Helena and then in D.C. are so disconnected from agriculture. Um, it, it doesn't mean that they're bad people necessarily, that they're out to harm you. They simply don't know what they don't know. And as that trend continues, it's going to be more important for, uh, for, for us in agriculture to have that ability to speak up and, and help these people understand what it is we do, why we do it, and that, that some of the decisions they're making behind a desk that, you know, in the moment might seem like it's the best choice, there's a lot of unintended consequences with that. And it's our job to help them understand that. And um, that's, that's kind of what's uh, most important to me is to be able to get myself in a position where, um, where I can be someone that, that, they, that they know they can trust. I'm not going to come to them and, you know, burn their house down because I disagree with them. I can have a conversation with someone and we can disagree, but I can still maybe help them learn a little bit. Two parts of the conversation I had at the kitchen table with ranchers Matt and Bonita Kramer. They gave some great advice on how they make decisions on the ranch, estate planning, and just life lessons as well. So make sure and go back and listen or listen for the first time to show number 37, which came in the number six spot here in 2018 at the kitchen table with Matt and Bonita Kramer. We'll take a quick commercial break and be back after this. Your National Cattlemen's Beef Association knows there's what benefits cattlemen and there's what doesn't. Trade, the farm bill, technology and conservation. The decisions being made in Washington affect the life of each and every cattleman. When it comes to the issues, there's simply no room for gray area. To us, it's as clear as black and white. Visit joinncba.org to learn more. As a Montana Farm Bureau member, you have access to a lot of valuable benefits. Now you can have your savings on the go with the Farm Bureau Member Benefits app. The app will show you where you can use your membership discounts with Granger, Case IH, Choice Hotels, John Deere, and more. Plus, with the app, your membership card is on your phone for easy access. It's free. Download the app today. Simply go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Farm Bureau Benefits app. Montana Farm Bureau. We care for the country. We're in the top five now, and show number 17 is in that number five spot, and it focused on grizzly bears. 
The title of the show was Grizzly Bears on the School Playground. This was a conversation I had with rancher Trina Joe Bradley. They ranch near Valier, Montana on the Rocky Mountain front. Grizzly bears are an issue that are plaguing ranchers not only on the front, but on the plains of Montana as they still remain on the endangered species list. But ranchers are unable to defend their livelihoods, that of course being their sheep and cattle on their ranches. A very insightful conversation with Trina Joe Bradley. Show number 17, Grizzly Bears on the School Playground. We lose at least one or two off of our creek pasture every year that we can't confirm. And they don't, I mean, that many calves don't just die. But I'm certainly not going to go marching through the brush looking for them. So it's hard to say. The, the flip side of that is... Sometimes they don't die because a grizzly bear eats them. Sometimes they die because a grizzly bear scares the herd and the baby calves get trampled, which has happened several times here. Trina, would we be safe to say these bears are just becoming too comfortable as they come closer to these rural communities on the plains? And do you feel frustration that Fish and Wildlife Services and the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks aren't doing a little more to uh, help with that situation? Absolutely. I feel like if they would have gotten on the problem several years ago, they wouldn't be dealing with so many conflicts now. But we have two different kinds of bears here. We have the kinds of bears that hang out in our yards and aren't scared of our dogs and aren't scared of us. And we also have bears that run as soon as they see us because they're scared of us. And those are the bears that I like to have here because they don't cause any issues. It's the ones camping in my yard and playing on my daughter's swing set that are the issue. And to talk about that, the image of that grizzly bear on the school playground in Valer sticks in my mind. These bears are coming. Grizzly bears, not, not, not just black bears. Grizzly bears are coming into these communities and children can't even go out on the playground and play. Exactly. And it's not like they come at night. The, the bear that was at the, or near the school in Valer was at 3.20 in the afternoon, right before school got out. So, I mean, you can't even say, well, it's daytime, so we're safe as long as we don't go out after dark, because that's just not the case anymore. Coming in in the number five spot, show number 17 with Trina Joe Bradley, Grizzly Bears on the school playground. If you have not listened to that, I encourage you to go and listen to the insight from a rancher on the ground that's experiencing problems that are not being fully dealt with. Now, in the number four spot, show 31. Throughout much of the summer, this was the number one listened to podcast. It's with my friend, Mr. Daryl Stevenson. It was yet again another at the kitchen table conversation. Obviously, the At the Kitchen Table shows are the most popular for the most part. And Rancher Daryl Stevenson talks about the legacy of his family's Angus operation in central Montana and also his ventures in Russia. This is part of that show, number 31, At the Kitchen Table with Daryl Stevenson. I think maybe I need to step back and give a general overview on why this actually even came about. Briefly, I mentioned that it wasn't or isn't uncommon in the seed stock business to inter interact with uh, different countries or different cultures because the genetic side of the business is relatively narrowed down. It's a small world uh, when pursuing to to improve cattle as we do. So 
I will say my first trip in 2007, it was actually a state-sponsored trip by the Montana Department of Agriculture. And there was two producers, myself and Jack Holden from Holden Herefords, along with uh, um, um, actually Russell Nemitz. Russell was on that trip, right? Russell went along. And uh, Ron DeYoung from... uh, he was the state ag secretary, and then Marty uh, Marty Earnhardt from the department, the marketing officer for the Department of Agriculture. And uh, it was two days out, and Jack and I were both ready to back out, not go, because we we were looking at uh, Russia primarily as a non-existent uh, beef-consuming beef production nation. And I think one of the best things, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever took was my dad said, "Now you've." allocated the time you you go you go learn we can handle this here at home and uh boy did it ever open my eyes to um the immense amount of opportunities that are still left in the world now talking about russia specifically the things that 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 we did discover is is absolutely mind-blowing to most people that you visit with uh in this country in this state I mean, you've got to realize just some background on what I'm talking about. The United States is four time zones. Everybody knows that. The The continental country of Russia is 10 time zones. So let's narrow that down just a little bit. If I'm to fly from Billings, Montana to Moscow, Russia, that's 10 time zones apart. We all realize that's a half a world away. Well, you've also got to realize from Moscow to the east coast of Russia... That's another 10 time zones. That's how far wide it, how far apart and how far and wide that country is spread. Uh, we traveled for days. We never saw a fence. I mean, it's kind of an ongoing joke that when we took the first cattle, it was, boys, you better get it stopped right now because there's not a fence from Poland to China, and that's the truth. I just spent another week. I just returned in the country of Kazakhstan. It's the same case. It is, it is an immense amount of natural resources that are totally being uh, underutilized. And so the opportunity for production from that perspective is there. But then secondarily, if you do mathematically on, on everything else that goes into the equation on, on what they were importing for consumption, what they were actually producing uh, for in-country use, uh, their aspirations for pro- potential future exports these are all big but you got to understand if i could narrow it down to one thing when people talk about cattle going to russia or they talk about cattle going to kazakhstan the first thing that they consider is well that kind of makes sense because they want to feed themselves they want more beef well that is true there's no doubt about that that's the long-term end goal objective what these countries however in the meantime are considering is what happens in between that First thing is local economic improvement. It's actually putting people to work. It's employing people. It's teaching people. The second thing is building infrastructure, literally fence lines, buildings, headquarter operations, um, local rural communities, getting them back on their feet. Number three, it is actually putting land or natural resources back into production. And then fourth, which is kind of a strange thing to say, is actually redistribution of some population where where they get real concentrated in urban centers. It's it's actually getting them redistributed back out before they get beef production cycles back into full swing operation. So 
briefly put, that's that's kind of how some of those things get started. And believe me, there is so much more content, and that conversation continues to get more in-depth on how the Russian market will or will not impact the cattle market in the United States, why it's important to have FFA and ag education, and so much more in that number four spot, Show 31 with Daryl Stevenson. We're in the top three now, friends. In the top three spot is show number 36. It's another At the Kitchen Table segment, and this came from the farm of Colby Johnson near Conrad, Montana. The topic was farming industrial hemp in the state of Montana. Industrial hemp was allowed through a partnership with the Montana Department of Agriculture. Thanks to the 2014 Farm Bill, the 2018 Farm Bill made it legal to produce and grow and interstate commerce of industrial hemp across the nation. Here's a part of that emerging crop, industrial hemp with Colby Johnson, show number 36. Industrial hemp, uh, they're between hemp and marijuana. It's pretty much one thing. It's the oil composition on it. Industrial hemp has high CBD, very low THC, if any, where marijuana has high THC and low CBD. That's the main difference uh, between the two, and that's what we're trying to distinguish between helping the farmers and the public, you know, get that knowledge. Uh, there's a huge stigma that hemp is marijuana or marijuana is hemp, and that is not true. So we need to go out there and uh, let everybody know that. So with that uh, foundation uh, set aside, talking about the differences between industrial hemp and marijuana, there is a lot of opportunities we are seeing for producers in, in growing this crop. We were just out in three different fields looking at the different varieties of, of industrial hemp that you've planted. And let, let's, uh, let's just start. How did you uh, get on that uh, thought process? Like, let, let's grow something different. Here we are known for growing different uh, types of crops, uh, different rotations rotational crops, whether that be pulses, uh, grains. Uh, this is just another rotational crop at the end of the day, but it also is going to provide a lot of opportunities. Uh, how did you get on this uh, process? So it was kind of weird. Uh, one of my buddies that uh, works in egg, he heard about uh, this pilot program for hemp about three years ago and with low commodity prices. And as a farmer, I love to grow, you know, whatever it is. And we, we have a lot of diversity here on the farm. We grow pulse wheat barley corn soybean i mean we've done we've done a lot and that that's what keeps it exciting for me so yeah i got on this pilot program and started getting into it and talked to the department of egg um court jensen he was very helpful really good guy very informative helped me throughout the whole thing uh, made sure we did it right answered my phone calls i'm sure he's getting pretty tired uh after a few months of me calling him every day and leaving messages but very helpful um and then ian foley took it over after that and same thing those two guys they need they should get a lot of credit for what they've done again so much more on the opportunities and manufacturing aspects of industrial hemp for farmers here in the northern plains and rocky mountain west with show number 36. next we go to the number two spot this held the number one spot through much of the summer and it was another At the Kitchen Table segment. The Heli Ranch was the topic. I sat down at the kitchen island table 
outside of Dillon, Montana, with my friends John and Evan Helly, Helly Rambolet, the Duckworth Clothing Company, and so much more were discussed. Here is part of show number 25 in our number two spot at the kitchen table, the Helly Ranch. There, there's issues, whether that ranges from the Endangered Species Act, uh, the multi-use of our public lands. Uh, let's just talk about a few of those issues for our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with uh, the struggles that ranchers go through here in southwest Montana. Well, the sheep industry has struggled a lot uh, in the Intermountain West because of our um, dependence on public lands. And it it's sad that uh, we have to, you know, add that to another challenge for our operations. But, uh, you know, this, this Intermountain area has in the past run lots and lots of sheep. Uh, Beaverhead, Madison County down here in southwest Montana ran hundreds and hundreds of thousands of sheep. And now, you know, there's less than 200,000 sheep in the state of Montana. So um, we're, we're kind of an industry that struggled a little bit with uh, keeping our numbers up. But as you mentioned earlier, that uh, the markets are just incredible for, for lamb and especially wool right now. We're hitting all-time ha- record highs. People are realizing that uh, these synthetics that uh, we've been producing are not uh, that conducive to the environment. And, and they're oil-based. Yeah, and they're oil-based. And uh, plastics, we're finding now that uh, even though you don't you, – you think of plastics like uh, water bottles and that type of stuff, but uh, – these synthetic uh, fibers that are coming off of polyester fleeces and that are contaminating waterways and fish and oceans, and and uh, they're getting into the microorganisms. They're so small you can't see them, and they don't uh, deteriorate, and they, they're, they're very, very uh, bad for the environment. So people are, are making a comeback to natural products, and especially wool. So, you know, we're, we're trying as an industry to expand our industry also because the demand for wool is coming out there. And we've hit to some challenges on, uh, you know, people have given sheep industry a bad rap in the environmental community. And for no other reason, I think, than that we're an easy target. And uh, we're, we're an easy, uh, you know, the, the people have always, like, stepped on the poor sheep guy. And, and we don't have the industry to, uh, you know, combat some of these environmental organizations that use these lawsuits and stuff for funding mechanisms. Um, we're in a lawsuit right now by an environmental group out of, you know, it's hard for me to call them an environmental group because they're more of a... Radical group. Yeah, radical litigant group out of Bozeman. And uh, they've sued the Forest Service and they've found that, uh, you know, through the court system and, and maybe some bad laws and, and that that... Uh, or outside the intent of the original legislation, you know, there's nothing wrong with the environmental laws that we have. It's just the abuse that we've put on, put them under. Um, everybody is concerned about uh, species protection through Endangered Species Act, and uh, the National Environmental Policy Act, I think, is another one that's been hijacked by certain um, litigant groups that, uh, you know, the well-meaning intent that, that the our Congress had and our our government had in Im- implementing those laws to protect the environment and protect species that need protection. But uh, trying to, you know, go back through and make sure that the original intent and, and even the current intent of those laws is, is being held up. And it's allowing us to still, um, you know, work in our, our public lands grazing community here. So um, one thing that people I don't think realize is that 
you know, we have three months of the year we're on our, our forest permits, or most of the time it's less than that because uh, we're, we're chasing the snow to get in there and then the, the snow chases us on the way back out. But uh, so nine months out of the year, we have to, we have, to have a sustainable ranching operation to, to manage those type of sheep. So essentially our forest permits have uh, what's called commensurate base property. So our remaining ranch has to prove that we have the ability to maintain those AUMs or those numbers of animals when they're not on the forest. So, you know, what we're, we're showing people is that these forest allotments are actually a very beneficial way to hold open space in the Intermountain area. And there's some very good conservation-minded groups, uh, you know, like uh, the Nature Conservancy and, and even the Greater Yellowstone Coalition, who we thought were you know, not really on our side, but are seeing that they're very important to have working ranches and these ranchers out here stewarding the land. And those forest permits are integral parts of their ranching operation that protect the rest of the connected lands and, and the private lands that they utilize to uh, maintain those operations. Again, that was John Helley discussing many of the issues that impact ranchers in southwest Montana. His son, Evan Helley discusses the importance of diversifying agricultural operations, and one way they have done that is by utilizing their Helley Rambouillet wool and manufacturing that wool into clothing through the company they have helped create called Duckworth. Yeah, so in our best-selling products are our base layer uh, next-to-skin products. So our, uh, just our T-shirt and our uh, briefs are the most uh, popular, and uh, we have a wool blend that's wool, uh, recycled uh, polyester and modal and the the way that we blend it is a unique way that nobody else in the wool industry does uh, which is part of the the benefits of manufacturing in the U.S. as we get to utilize different equipment than the rest of the world does and uh, since it wicks so well your your body is constantly being regulated to uh, it's more effective essentially when regulating itself and so you're constantly comfortable when you're wearing it and um we, we make a clothing line called our Vapor, and that's our Vapor briefs and our tees. And those shirts are essentially our summer wool. And uh, you can wear it all year round. When you layer over it, it's warm. When you wear it as your base layer and your outer layer, it dries super quick and keeps you cool, too, in the summertime. And uh, I tell people, just try it out. Wear it for a few days, and then you'll be addicted to it. A great at-the-kitchen table conversation with John and Evan Helley. I've listened to that show three times, and I'm the one that did the interview, and it is just so inspiring to hear their determination when they are faced with so many challenges, especially against radical environmentalists that want to see an end to their way of life and all the good they do out on our natural resources. Well, friends, that was show 25, and now we go to the number one show of 2018. This show is, is really nothing to brag about because of the circumstances and why the show was created. This episode was show number 42, and it was a conversation I had with J.R. Vizane. J.R., of course, is a Wyoming native and married a Melstone, Montana cowgirl named Shelby Newman a few years back. And this conversation happened three days after J.R. had a saddle bronc riding incident in Texas where his back was broke. And he qualified for the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo and was unable to compete because of his back injury. But 
This conversation occurred because his mother-in-law, Leanne Newman, reached out to me because they were trying to spread the word and talk about the injury. And I was a little cautious about using this as a platform to promote my podcast or whatnot. But after that conversation I had with JR, three days after his accident in the rodeo arena, the inspiration that JR had, the outlook he had on life, and his determination to walk again was truly remarkable. And this is one of the most inspiring conversations I have ever had in my life. And JR and Shelby are doing well. He continues to do his physical therapy to achieve that goal of walking again. Here is part of that very inspiring conversation I had with Mr. J.R. Vizane three days after he had broken his back at a rodeo earlier this fall. And but I was in this in this zone. I was it was kind of slow motion. I couldn't hear anything around me, and I just I just uh, I heard a voice, and it just said. You can accept your your back's broke, your legs don't work, your career is over, and your life is ended, or you start praying right now, believe that I'm a great healer, start asking for prayer, and you'll get your you'll get your legs back. So that's what I did. I just started praying right away, and everybody rushed. Well, she she rolled into my hand, luckily, um, so my hand came out easy. And then on her way up, she she stomped on my gut and kind of jumped off of me. So. I felt like it crushed my rib cage and everybody come running out to me and I couldn't breathe. And they, uh, they, they said, what do you need? What do you need? And I just, I was screaming, I just need some prayer. I just need some prayer. So everybody laid their hands on me and started praying over me and they got me on a backboard, um, rushed me to the ambulance ambulance. Um, I, I had two great sport med guys down there, uh, Sean Reddy and then a doc from, um, uh, Memorial Herman, where I'm at now, they said, you better be taking him to Texas Medical Center. So they got me over to the helicopter. I flighted me into the trauma center at Memorial Herman here at the Texas Medical Center, which is one of the best places that a guy could have had it happen. I guess he had to have it happen. They've, I've been told, they said, this place is amazing at spinal surgeries and spinal recovery. So um, they got me in right away. They started doing MRIs and uh, CT scans. I just, uh, I guess I just want to say thank you, Nordland, for uh, giving me the opportunity to be on here. That's uh, uh, just a great way to uh, to uh, share the message of one more platform. And um, main thing I want people to know is that uh, I know God's got a plan. And I know something good is going to come out of this. God did not intend for this to happen. Uh, that was the devil to steal, kill, and destroy. And I know that uh, the Lord's got it under control, and he'll make something good happen out of it. And um, I'm going to be the walking miracle that changes people's lives for his glory. So I'm looking forward to the hard work, and uh, um, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get in there. So uh, thanks for the support, and thanks for the help, and uh, thanks for having me on here. I did not want that to be my number one show because I'd rather have J.R. Vizane healthy and that wreck never to happen. But as J.R. said, he believes in God's plan. And I'm choked up just thinking about this, how much faith in God 
and in himself and his family and friends, JR has. That was our number one show. Thousands of individuals were able to hear the positivity that came out of that horrible situation. So, J.R. Vizane and Shelby, you are still in our prayers. And if you are tuning in to this top 10 show before December 29th in Roundup, Montana, they are having a J.R. Vizane benefit dinner dance and auction. It's at the Roundup Community Center. There's more information on the J.R. Vizane benefit Facebook page. Make a monetary donation. Head up to Roundup for that event. But, friends... This is why I love what I do. Like I said, I I don't want to take advantage of the fact that J.R. Vizane was injured and that we got a lot of listens to that show. But knowing that we were able to spread his message and get him more prayers and at the end of the day help him walk again, that's what makes my job the greatest in the world so it has been one heck of a 2018 those were our top 10 shows and again i just want to send more prayers to jr vizane and his family as he continues his road to recovery it's been one heck of a 2018 and we're continuing to tell agriculture's story through the ag podcast the lane cast thank you for joining the agriculture conversation we will have links to all 10 shows online at nordlandcommunications.com and in our podcast description here today again thank you so much for all you do for agriculture whether you are a farmer a rancher a rural business owner or you just want to learn more about the western way of life and the hard work that farms and ranchers and rural businesses put in day in, day out to make sure that our rural economies thrive, that this nation and world is fed, and that the farms and ranches are passed on to the next generation. It's my pleasure to share agriculture story and be your voice for agriculture. So that will do it on our recap of the top 10 shows in 2018. There was a lot of shows pretty close to making it into the top 10, so I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on your Apple or Android devices, and always advocate for agriculture. That will do it for today. I'm Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.